welcome to this episode of the BDNG podcast. My name is Tina McKenzie and I'm the Education Development Lead for the BDNG. I hope you enjoy listening to the BDNG podcast and find it beneficial to your practice. These podcasts are sponsored by Typharm. Typharm have no influence over the content of these podcasts. Happy listening! Hello and welcome back to the BDNG podcast. My name is Ashton Cleary and I'm an advanced nurse practitioner in London. And alongside me today is my co-host, Emmanuel Tony. Hello, and I too am an advanced nurse practitioner also in the London area. And today on the podcast, we have Dr. Sanjita Punjabi, who is a consultant dermatologist in the Northwest um, in an NHS trust in London, and she's also the clinical lead there. And we are going to speak about mental health uh, for patients, um, mainly with eczema and psoriasis. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Sangeeta Punjabi. Um, I'm a consultant dermatologist um, at London Northwest NHS Trust, um, looking after a population um, of three boroughs, so about one million uh, population. Uh, in the three boroughs, it's uh, all aspects of skin disease, including skin cancer and uh, inflammatory skin, forms a large proportion of our workload. I specialize in uh, contact dermatitis, which is patch testing, as most of uh, you would be familiar with. And today we are here to discuss uh, or the all uh, well-known uh, aspect of um, mental health issues with our skin conditions, especially the inflammatory skin uh, diseases. Fantastic. And thank you so much for joining us today. So to kick off the podcast, our first question is, are there any questions in your consultations that you would use to trigger conversations about mental health related to skin conditions? That's quite important, actually, because, uh, you know, you want the patient to feel completely comfortable so that they have the space and the trust um, in the consultant or in the clinician who's who's seeing them uh, to share their thoughts and to be honest uh, about what they are experiencing. Um, first of all, I would put them at ease by explaining that there is a close relationship between the skin and the mind. Um, and that many people with a skin condition experience a mental health issue uh, so that they know that this is something completely normal and they are not only the one experiencing these feelings. Um, so this kind of sets the background um, and, you know, it allows us to build a rapport, puts them at ease. Um, and I, I approach the subject cautiously, obviously, so they're not taken up by surprise. Um, I would use open questions such as um, how have you been in recent times in your moods or say, for instance, um, how have you've been feeling in yourself um, and this comes after a brief uh, setting of the rapport introduction feeling comfortable uh, followed by an open question um, I would pick up on the keywords they use um, and then expand on it and turn it more you know like a conversation uh, this allows I think most patients to feel comfortable and they feel connected that somebody is interested in listening uh, to them um, I would actually avoid questions that are, uh, you know, negative toned, such as have you felt depressed because uh, it gives a negative connotation and they carry an assumption that, 
you know, there is a, they are either looking depressed or that this is something that, uh, you know, they, they become more defensive when answering. So it is it is just a little bit more positive uh, toned open questions and uh, the word depression can have many interpretations. So just being careful about how we are phrasing the questions about their mood and giving it a positive energy if we can uh, and being more open minded and more more alert with the fact that, you know, they, they may or may not wish to share certain things with us. That was really insightful. Thank you. I particularly like the the bit on kind of framing it in a positive light when you bring up these conversations, because, you know, we live in a, an era of, of lots of social media where there's lots of th- people self-diagnosing with various mental health conditions online. But if I can move on to the next question, which is how and where do you signpost your patients for help and support? Now, that is an important aspect, and I think most of us will agree that, um, you know, once you have um, done the first bit and you realize that this patient needs the support, um, I guess as clinicians um, and as nurses, we do carry the important uh, responsibility of uh, trying to help our patients that step further, and signposting is a very important step in this. Um, I I would do a thorough assessment with the patient. Um, I can then establish the level of the support and the intervention they need. Now, that's quite important, and that sometimes uh, can be time-consuming. So based on this, you can either signpost the patient to uh, more advice and information because some of the patients are seeking more information about their disease condition. Um, They you know, support them with links, with leaflets that will inform them more, or maybe even refer them to a further specialist for that particular answer. Um, It's a stepped care model that we use with the treatment of these inflammatory skin conditions and monitoring the progress and the outcome of the self-care steps are very important part of this. Uh, a low level support, I would say if you know patient has highlighted um, some level of uh, struggle with coping with their condition, but they seem uh, very much with it. They're living in a family, they are well supported, but they're still feeling uh, not up to themselves 100% with their skin condition. I guess watchful waiting, um, guided self-help, you can signpost them to a lot of community cognitive behavior therapies, um, exercise, uh, and brief even psychological interventions. In a busy dermatology clinic, I agree. Dermatologists like myself, uh, you know, um, we we kind of struggle to undertake a psychological intervention in detail. But I think some signposting should be made available to all clinicians because inflammatory skin, as I said, is an important part of our workload. And recognizing the mental aspects of skin health is such an important uh, issue that we should actually be abreast with how quickly we can signpost our patients within this. Now, there is, um, I don't know if most of you are aware, uh, I can also signpost a patient to their GP to request access liaison psychiatry help in the community, because this is possible through the community services and doesn't need secondary care intervention. And sometimes um, I think, as far as I'm aware, they can also do an online referral. So there are these, um, making them aware that there are these possibilities within where they live within their easy reach, um, they need to come out of their shell and probably make themselves known that they need help. And I, I think you've 
you've really made the point clear there that the assessment needs to be individualized. Um, and thank you for 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 sharing that so far. But just specifically, have you any particular resources that you would signpost your patients to? So in terms of specific resources, um, you know, I signposted patients to apps like the Headspace and Calm. Uh, these are easy to download. Everyone is technology friendly now and usually has a smart device on them. And patients appreciate that there are these um, and they're already aware of some of them uh, because these are quite popular apps. In addition, free patient handouts can be uh, accessed online from uh, websites such as uh, there's one particular web website, which is um, getselfhelp.co.uk. And there are um, documents on relaxation. Um, there are also support groups which are quite important and they're listed quite clearly in our uh, patient information leaflets and they're signposted in the BAD patient information leaflets such as um, National Eczema Society and also Society for Psoriasis. And these are uh, very important because this is the forum where uh, a lot of information which is credible and validated from research, which is reported by um, consultant dermatologists, is actually summarized in a, a bite size and a layman's terms to for patients to understand what is going on in the current times with eczema and with psoriasis. So they're very helpful forums as well where patients can meet like-minded patients and learn about new treatments, learn that other people suffer with the same kind of symptoms or conditions, and maybe get ideas and tips about how they are coping with this. Um, and so it's it's kind of a support group which actually we encourage um, and has been quite popular for decades now. There's some great resources that you, you've highlighted there. I know that some of my patients have fed back and have actually tuned in with them and, and it's all been positive, which is good. But if I can move on to just ask you a, con a question about, uh, for example, make every contact count. So have you implemented any methods into your clinic, such as making every contact count? Uh, so the make every contact count approach um, enables health and care workers to engage patients in conversations about improving their health by addressing risk factors. This is like lifestyle changes such as alcohol, you're focusing on diet, physical activity, smoking and mental well-being. This aspect is very important, but restricted clinic time, as I touched upon earlier, does not allow the clinicians to do this successfully. Um, and as a result, um, you know, I find personally as a secondary care clinician, I think our nurses and pharmacists are a very useful resource and they're certainly better placed to do this service. Um, it is important to remember that the vast majority of patients who present with a skin condition will not be expecting their mental health to be addressed or discussed. However, as we already have discussed, it is our job to show that we are interested in them holistically and to explain that there is a bi-directional relationship between the skin and the mind. And I certainly feel that there is science behind um, this where, you know, holistic approach will help uh, in terms of healing and in terms of uh, letting the treatments work on their skin if their mind is balanced. So it's quite an important aspect, even though they don't ask for it. Um, 
I feel that uh, to make the patient more comfortable, I ensure the clinic room is suitable in terms of privacy. Uh, there are no other staff coming in and out because we've had a few complaints, as all of you may be aware, uh, when certain patients who are already on the brink or edge of uh, feeling quite disturbed with their skin, uh, they certainly don't appreciate um, a lot of disturbance in the room, which sometimes inevitably happens in an NHS uh, setting. And we also give, um, I do invest in my first consultations. So in the sense that I would give them time to make sure that I've heard their side of the story, um, giving vent to their frustration and anger at their condition. It's not a personalized experience. It's more about them being angry about the lengthy wait that they have had to be heard or to be referred or even to get signposted to see a consultant for their condition. And I think this uh, silent listening is a very important aspect to build that trust and rapport with that patient because that is the uh, foundation of your relationship. Yes, for sure. And, and I think your point about, you know, involving the multidisciplinary team to support um, patients in, in delivering this care is so important. And as, as a nurse, I can definitely vouch that that is something that um, I would do on a regular basis. Um, we, we are quite lucky where we are that we have um, uh, psychologists uh, linked to our service and one of the techniques they use is habit reversal. Is Do you use any techniques like this in your clinic um, as an example habit reversal? Yes, uh, and I guess that is one of the most um, uh, popular and well-mentioned and well um, sort of, uh, uh, what shall I say, evidenced technique that is mentioned in the literature as well. So I do use, um, and sometimes even, um, you know, uh, a slow, deep breathing when a patient is becoming very anxious or agitated with their condition. Uh, to help this, I would signpost them again to the apps like Headspace and Calm, it is sometimes difficult. You've got to watch the space of uh, when is the right time to talk about these um, apps. And with habit reversal, I actually uh, specifically, um, uh, you know, explain to them that it plays a key role in reducing the frequency of the scratching. And this is especially true in so many of our patients with inflammatory skin conditions. And the key concept of habit reversal, as you have said, is a behavioral therapy. And it is it is complementary. It's not an alternative to dermatological treatment. They still do need our topical uh, treatments, but it's about how do they help themselves. And habit reversal is that main aspect of understanding the behavior modification. And I do use it and I do take time, especially in uh, lichen simplex chronicus, chronic conditions where the itch scratch, itch cycle is so important. Um, habit reversal is a very useful technique. And uh, it's more like, you know, kind of keeping a tick chart or a count of the number of times they're scratching. What are the other things they could do instead of actually scratching their skin. So what are the other avenues that they can have? It's an awareness training training along with other resources that they can use instead of scratching or picking like say ice packs, mentholated sachets or creams. So yes, I do I do use that from time to time uh, in specific patients. I think one one concept that's been brought up in that answer and a few answers so far is this this concept of time and needing time. So next question is is how do you cope with the challenges of time constraints if a patient starts to open up? 
And I guess that is why most clinicians wouldn't address this uh, issue in detail. Generally, what we have started doing, realizing that in chronic inflammatory skin and the more severe skin is the one that leads to the more challenging conversations. Um, the, as you rightly said, there are setups of uh, you know specialist complex biologic clinics in our trust now, which allows a nurse to join in. Along with, uh, you know, if a psychologist is a luxury, it's not always available in all the clinics. We, we do not have this uh, facility, but I'm aware of certain NHS clinics which are supported by a psychologist, as you mentioned earlier. And these are all very useful, but then the time constraints are addressed by you move these patients rather than actually just um, closing off the sheet. You book them into that complex case clinic and say that I can understand that you need more help and I can actually give you this time frame and some help and resources and added chance um, to kind of book you an appointment into this specific clinic. So I think every hospital needs to decide their workload and accordingly have either a fortnightly or, you know, whatever is their approach, uh, but a clinic with more time and with multidisciplinary approach, as you rightly said. So it, it is not possible. I may be a one-off clinician who can who can do for one-off consultation a lengthy, you know, a consultation, uh, take, not taking time frames, but it can't be a sustainable approach. So you're very right. It does need uh, some working out of uh, giving specific clinic times for these patients. Yes, for sure. And so, so you mentioned that you you unfortunately don't have any on-site um, psychologists linked to the That's clinic. That's true. Uh, but do you, do you actually refer to any other centres yes. for that? So we do refer uh, to certain centres. Uh, yes, we do. And uh, most of the times, if the issue is something that we feel liaison psychiatry can help or we have signposted the GP, I think it's a holistic approach, isn't it? It's about where we've got the rapport, where the nurse has signposted and a lot of uh, resources available from a lot of, um, you know, our newer treatments, biologic treatments. There's a lot of information, a lot of links to healthy lifestyle, a lot of links to, um, you know, uh, signposting to various uh, uh, sites to have for patients to understand their disease or to get help. So I think we try to see um, to keep our patients well informed and notified of these approaches of what they can exercise to use. But from time to time, we have to use uh, certain uh, clinical uh, sort of uh, scenarios where we have to refer these patients to these specialist clinics. But we are mindful that these clinics have their own waiting lists and times and uh, times can be lengthy. So in between that, they still need that help and rescue with uh, with this, but I'm sure I'm certain that we can certainly get better with this. So you know, we we can certainly work together in neighboring hospitals to to develop more of a community based service approach. And I think this is certainly something that uh, through this podcast um, we can highlight the need for such an approach. That was great, thank you. Uh, and if I can ask just about uh, patients, so how do you ask a patient about suicide? I think it's a topic that a lot of us struggle and get a bit nervous about talking about with our patients. 
Well, I guess it is not an easy thing to ask. As I said, it has uh, a very negative uh, connotation to it. And most of us wouldn't have received uh, proper training to uh, broach this subject in a delicate way. But often you do find that consultations can turn out where the patient themselves have actually uh, looked so seriously uh, you know, uh, they will hardly speak, they will mumble, uh, they're not interested in their self-care. And sometimes if somebody's accompanying them, often they will give you a hint that they have actually been um, not very good and they have been uh, uh, recluse and you're worried about, you know, the relative will say they're worried about them. So I guess it is not an easy one. I agree. And it is something that um, we don't have specific training for. Uh, we don't use uh, we don't use these psychiatric questionnaires either very well. But suicidal ideation is not something that you directly ask um, these patients. I guess in Roaccutane clinics, one could argue that we do ask them about moods, but uh, direct uh, questions about this is more of your judgment and intuition about what you're picking up from their behavior. How how are they responding to the, your questions? Are they looking like as though you know they they have given up hope and they, they're not asking any questions? They're not actually not engaging with you, and that's when you would worry about mentioning. Um, whether any such thoughts have crossed your mind. And I guess if you haven't got the rapport with the patient, it is difficult because you may not get an answer and they may get defensive. And if they do open up, you know, it, it is a difficult one because I've had I've been called into a consultation by a junior doctor who did find out that this patient was, um, you know, uh, having suicidal thoughts. And it it wasn't an attempt to find out. It was just through regular conversation that the patient mentioned something which caught the attention that this uh, was serious. Um, and I was called in as the consultant. And I think uh, we had to signpost, urgently call the GP. We had to put um, uh, the family member who was accompanying, make them aware and uh, refer them to um, uh, the uh, liaison psychiatry service with the GP being signposted. So I guess it's not easy. Yes, it it has happened very occasionally in our clinics. Yeah, and I, I think your point on intuition is actually really important because um, often in the younger patients as well, if if they're accompanied by a parent, sometimes it might be even harder to open up and sometimes they wouldn't want to do that with the parent in the room. Um, so developing a rapport with your patients, uh, as you said, is, is key. Um, I know you've already kind of alluded to it already, but how do you ensure that your patient is safe if they open up about suicide or depression? I guess it, it it kind of makes it a safeguarding issue, isn't it, if they are not accompanying by anything. So it does uh, put the responsibility to make sure that uh, they are signposted correctly. And uh, it would be a discussion either with the GP or even with the um, uh, psychiatric teams on site in the secondary care to safeguard them. And if I can ask you about assessment tools as well, because we've we, heard you mention a few of them now. Uh, what assessments tool do you use? Yes, a PHQ-9 DLQI-GAD-7. Yes. Um, I, I, I use PHQ-9 for depression um, and GAD-7 some of my colleagues use for anxiety. 
Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much. Are there any key take home messages? I know it caught you a little bit off guard with that question, but are there any uh, little uh, things you would like to leave the, the nurses that are listening this with any key take homes? Well, I think the key take home is that I would just signpost everyone that recently in 2020, there was an old parliamentary uh, skin group uh report on mental health impact of skin disease i would i would implore everyone if they get a chance it's available freely online and um, it just specifies simple things like uh, how adversely um, skin disease can impact all aspects of people's lives so it's not just about uh, uh, you know, us treating them and their skin and they are feeling uh, depressed because of their visual appearance of the skin. It actually impacts uh, their relationships, uh, self-esteem, career choices, um, social, sexual, leisure activities. So I think it's an impact is quite major and this is a public health issue because skin conditions don't forget are very prevalent in our population especially the chronic skin conditions and just because we don't die from them the morbidity is quite high uh, people experience isolation embarrassment shame and anxiety and this definitely is like a stigma and and it also causes discrimination a lack of social experience acceptance, understanding is experienced daily for some and it's difficult to live uh, with, you know, other people regarding you as being different and children with skin disease suffer with long-term mental health impact. So this is something that what I'm trying to give a message is that I think this is something we should take more seriously. It's a hidden aspect of the chronic skin conditions, whether the patient speaks of it or doesn't speak of it, I think underlying current is that we as nurses, we as healthcare professionals, we as clinicians, uh, we as pharmacists, we as GPs, whoever is looking after these patients have to recognize and be mindful that it is important that the psychological impact of this has it been addressed. Is there some way we can gently coax these patients into getting the right help? Is there some way we can establish a rapport for them and open up more routes for them to have easy access uh, to the help that they need and to even uh, self-refer uh, you know, into places? So I think we, we have that responsibility um, that uh, you know, together we can come and we can make it a better world for our chronic skin patients. What a fantastic summary and very compassionate. I think I think it will, you'll be difficult to listen to that and not feel inspired to go back to your workplace. So thank you very much and, and thank you for your time. No, that's brilliant. I think, um, yes, uh, I just 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 to share with you guys, I've just um, done an MBA on uh, from the NHS point of view on uh, on chronic skin conditions. So my topic for the dissertation was oh. uh, chronic skin. So I've done a lot of research on mental health aspect and the fact that uh, skin is largely marginalized and ignored in terms of uh, how it is looked at and how important it is. So I've tried to build my case to say that uh, we should be upskilling our pharmacists mm. to be involved more. So my, my topic was... Um, can pharmacists working in primary care um, be upskilled in looking after mild to moderate chronic skin conditions 
and help them exactly with this self-care, compliance. Um, if they have any questions, signpost them to psychological help because all this is the undercurrent and the GP doesn't have the time. Secondary care clinicians, we're not going to have universally, all of us won't get that chance and time. Till that happens, maybe, you know, it's going to be late. I think it's building up that scene where who's the right healthcare professional to see what level of aspect of this patient and who has the time and the knowledge and who can we utilize? Who, who Who's the workforce? Pharmacist workforce has tripled in the last three years yeah. in primary care. And this is not community pharmacists. This is not pharmacists sitting in booths. This is pharmacists sitting within GP surgeries. So they have the patient records. They, they share what letters goes from us. So it's just about utilizing the right skills. But how do we get the finance and the funding for that? Yeah. Because the model yeah. is interesting but how do I get the, the right people to buy it in? Yeah. So that will be my next approach. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I look forward. Hopefully, I look forward to seeing this, you know, go further and further. But uh, thank you very much and, and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And for further information on the BDNG, visit our website, bdng.org.uk and watch out for the next BDNG podcast, which is coming soon.